Ryan, I wanted to ask you, how do you feel that race has changed your life? It feels um, very awesome. Felt with an awesome. Since it changed my life. Welcome to Hidden Voices. I'm your host, Raisa Habersham. Join me on my journey to learn more about the experiences of Georgia residents with developmental disabilities, guided along the way by my co-host and mentor, Dorona King. After hearing Nick's story, I was devastated, and I was angry. Angry knowing there are young people with disabilities caught in a system that seems designed to keep them trapped in nursing facilities, a system that seems designed to exploit the people it's supposed to care for, a system that robs people of their autonomy. I mentioned in the last episode that my grandmother was in a nursing facility at the end of her life. Talking to Nick made me wonder what kind of treatment she had actually endured during her time there. Had she been well-fed? Did nurses respond promptly when she called for them? How well taken care of was she really? I've never asked my dad about it. In the years since she passed, I've avoided those hard questions and tried to focus on the happy memories instead. Still, I wonder what someone in Nick's position could do. He's determined to fight a system designed to work against him, and he already works with an attorney. But what gives me the most hope is that Nick has become his own greatest advocate. I talked to Dorona about Nick's situation and what could be done. What happens in a situation like Nick's? You know, is there anything being done about his situation or is there anything that can be done at the state level? So at the state level, again, Nick's another number. There are around 6,000 people in the state of Georgia who are on this list to get a Medicaid waiver. So again, we go back to commoditizing people. The answer is complex, but what, what we do know is the answer is not just we have to wait for the state. We have to wait for the system to fix this. It's a dollar and cents game until we can convince our systems that the human beings are more important than the dollars, it's an uphill battle. You know, Nick seems to be his own advocate in his situation. What can one do if they are in Nick's situation? How can advocacy help? Advocacy is an opportunity for people to have a voice for themselves. The most important thing that can happen is for people who are in his circle, for people outside of the system to continue to help him raise his voice and to advocate with and alongside of him, to consistently and repeatedly go at the system for help. You know, I'm frustrated for Nick, and I imagine people listening are also frustrated on his behalf. You know, what can they do to become advocates or activists for him or someone like him? Well, you know, I think if we deflect our corporate consciousness from my tax dollars are going so that some expert can make the right decision for Nick, 
to really begin assuming some knowledge base of what is happening for people who are living an experience like Nick. Nick is not an anomaly. Nick is status quo. Nick's experience isn't some outside experience of waiting for five hours for someone to to get him out of bed. It's almost standard operating procedure. For example, Hidden Voices is offering a solution by opening up opportunities for people to learn what the lived experience is for people with disabilities. I love that you said that because I think a lot of times people do tend to look at certain issues as this is not a me problem. And that's a problem in and of itself. And the more reflective people can become and the more they realize, you know, it's more than just me, I think we'll see more inroads. I hope we'll see more inroads. It really is a changing of attitude for the community, for the society on how we perceive people with physical or intellectual or mental health differences. We need more typical people aligning themselves with people who are considered other than that. And we need to see each other for our gifts and capacities rather than what we think those differences are. That's the protection. That's the safeguard. That is what Nick does not have. He hasn't had a personal visit in at least nine months. So the safeguard is gone. So the answer is, again, back to the same answer, you have the power. I have the power as just an ordinary citizen. I don't need to have a, a dictate or, or, or regulation or prescribed anything to have a relationship with someone. Like people with disabilities are entitled, according to the ADA and the Olmsted decision, to freely given associations. Nick doesn't need permission from the facility to have friends. It is a right. It is a human right. What could the future look like if, you know, more people committed to being active advocates? As a taxpayer, just imagine if the tax-paying citizenry of the state of Georgia collectively rose up and said, the way we engage or treat people with disabilities with our state dollars is unacceptable. And as a voting citizen, I'm no longer going to vote for people who want to push people with disabilities to the bottom or the edge, that we're no longer going to accept people with being treated with hand-me-downs and what is left over. I think that could change for the positive what the future could look like for all of us. But the beginning step is being made aware, which of course is what this work is doing. It's being made aware that things are not equal. So we are the answer. Nick's situation made me wonder if there are other people who advocate for themselves the way he does. Dorona suggested I speak with Eric Nanduba, a 16-year-old student from Clarkson with cerebral palsy. Originally from the Central African Republic, Eric and his mother Nestorine fled the country and came to the U.S. when Eric was small. Ben Kreisick is Eric's caretaker and is helping Eric communicate during the interview. Even though Ben is paid to be in Eric's life, they have a mutually beneficial relationship. 
every single day that I come here, he cheers me up every single day. And that's how I would describe a relationship. It's just that simple. I was really nervous when I started working with Eric. I, I was, I was because um, I'm gay. But I told him, he asked me one day, I was like, hey, are you gay? And I said, yeah, and he didn't care. And that was that. But I, I was shocked by the love and the respect that he gives me. So I think it's been consistently a crazy, fun relationship. And then it's been a very like loving and honest relationship and friendship. So it means a lot to me. And I haven't even told Eric this, but especially after, before I was working with him, I was an English teacher in Nagasaki, Japan. And um, I, I, uh, (laughs) I had some pretty interesting experiences where I, I had some coworkers the first week that I started there that outed me in the office. And I, I felt really uh, sort of betrayed and not safe, but I feel really safe when I'm with Eric. I think that sort of goes back to the intention behind mutually beneficial relationships. Yeah, for sure. Eric has an advocate named Kathy Frankel who supports Eric's self-advocacy efforts. Kathy was a physical therapist at Elgleston Hospital when she first met Eric and his mother. She felt compelled to help Eric and his family, who were recent refugees. We can hear Kathy talking more about Eric's story in this video. Unfortunately, when he was born, it was under a lot of duress and he suffered some brain damage. And he now has cerebral palsy. But he's very smart, but his uh, body he can't control his muscle movements. The magical thing about Eric is with the right supports and the right people, he's going to make a lot of progress. Kathy has been there for Eric when he's had to advocate for himself, like recently when he wasn't given the option to go to college as part of his IEP plan. When Eric had his transitional IEP going from middle school going into high school one of the things that he was asked to fill out was this paper but on this paper was asking questions about things like you know what are your plans in high school like what do you do at home you know what do you do on the weekends like do you participate in after school activities Um, and then what do you plan to do after high school and there were preset options that were filled in like living in um, a group home or living in all these different types of living environments? Do you plan to live at home with your family? Do you plan to get an apartment? There was nothing about going to college on this paper. There was nothing about it at all. And I remember I talked with you about it, Eric, obviously. Yeah. And what you were saying, I'm, I know you talked about it a bunch because I knew you were upset. I was upset and then Kathy was upset. But your current OI orthopedic impairment manager teacher, whose name is Miss Seal, said that's ridiculous. College needs to be an option on this paper. The paper on the 
The paper only said a little bit. I'm listening. Not a lot. Not a lot. You're free from the paper. Yeah. Eric's network of support is crucial in enabling him to more easily advocate for his needs. For instance, it was Kathy who encouraged Eric to start a weekly meetup group at Refuge Coffee as a way for him to connect with his community. With Ben's support, Eric would meet at the coffee shop every Saturday, sharing space with people and building the bridge between stranger and friend. This allows for Eric to meet new people, engage in discussion around advocacy, and mentor others on how to be strong advocates. You said Kathy and you decided you wanted to make your own advocacy, right? And so... I started helping you when I started working with you, right? And then I helped you decide that you wanted to do a a meetup every weekend, once a week at Refuge Coffee, right? Okay. And, well, not just somebody. A lot of people knew you when you were there, right? There were a lot of people that knew you. Yeah. Everybody. When you meet people, Eric, how do you help them become better advocates, especially at the coffee shop? What do you do with them? What do you tell them? When you're with somebody, you shouldn't talk over them or step over them or try to make decisions for them. You just need to help them make decisions for themselves, right? Much like Eric, Ryan Howell has had to learn to advocate for himself. Ryan lives in southwest Atlanta and likes to draw comic book characters. His artistic abilities are a passion he shares with his citizen advocate, Royce Babel, who was in the performing arts program at Tri-Cities High School in East Point, Georgia. The two met in 2015 through Dorona and Citizen Advocacy. At the time, Ryan had just lost his job and Royce was coming back to Atlanta after traveling through Southeast Asia. While Ryan has a passion for drawing, his interests span beyond that. So outside of um, drawing and your artistic abilities, what other interests do you have, Ryan? So I have had the interest of parabellians all the time. What's your favorite video game to play? Like racing, um, wrestling. It's kind of fun. And besides that, I like to watch uh, movies on Hulu. Do you have a favorite movie? Yeah, I just got to watch Bombshell. <gasps> Bombshell. I haven't seen it yet. It was good. Yeah, it was good. I got it on was? Hulu. Yeah, yeah, check that out. We were just talking about about that. Yeah, so Ryan, you like comic books, you like video games, Mm -hmm. you like movies. Mm -hmm. Before becoming Ryan's citizen advocate, Royce had heard about the organization through a friend who sits on the board. But what really drew Royce in was the opportunity to expand his thinking beyond his own lived experiences. You know, I have to ask Royce, I know you mentioned that you and Ryan had a lot of things in common. What made you decide to be a citizen advocate? I've been able to get a a really um, different perspective um, about his experience, just in like what it, you know, just 
to understand how he moves through the world and then how someone like him moves through the world and the opportunities that are not afforded to them just because of their situation, whether it's, you know, something that they're born with or something that, you know, financial situation or what have you. Um, it's a totally different existence because on the surface, yes, we're both black men around the same age from the same part of town, but we've had very different experiences in the world. And that's been the most eye-opening thing for me is just to understand his experience. Mm. And so, Ryan, what have you learned from Royce? One thing I learned from him to get out of the house, have fun, make new friends, and learn a few uh, experiments for them. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm always encouraging Ryan to, um, to get out and just go have fun or do, do something that he wouldn't normally do. Um, so I think we've kind of bonded over that as well. Before the pandemic, one way that Ryan and Royce spent time together was at the cultural and live events that Royce hosted, where Ryan could mingle with other people who shared his interests. But there was one particular incident that was scary for both of them. So Royce, how do you play a role in that in ensuring that Ryan has a say in his autonomy, him wanting to be independent, but still respecting his personal space and ensuring that no one does take advantage of him? The way I've tried to do it is invite him into spaces that I can control, at least that I can at least have some sort of control in some way of the environment and then just kind of let him do his thing. Like anytime he's either come to a party of mine or come hang out, like he does his own thing, which is great. And then he'll be talking to my friends or, you know, doing something. Uh, but still, I trust everyone in that space. Mm-hmm. But there was one particular incident mm-hmm. where I thought it was controlled and it wasn't controlled. And it, it gave us a little a little bit of a scare. Uh-huh. Yeah. How did you feel about that, Ryan? That incident? It was um, a un, uh, little unsafe, but, but I got used to it. Like the best one, like the, um, the best one, I was at there at the little Wayne concert. I thought they had that place taken care of until that first time when I heard a gun. Five was something to have a screaming, which is trying to be a gunshot in some way. Yeah, but you know it wasn't. So essentially, you want to walk her through what happened? Uh-huh. So, yeah. I, I was on fun stage to see Lil Wayne, mind my own business. So he was supporting my team. I used to work at a festival here called A3C. He was basically serving as my assistant that day. I was recording and, that, uh, Lil Wayne. Yeah, he was recording Lil Wayne, who was about to perform, who was the headliner, and then go. And then, uh, then first I heard people trying to warn me, warn me down. First I heard a fireworks going off anyway. But it wasn't like, until eight times I found out the hallway that I heard a gunshot going on. Mm-hmm. I thought that security got things, got things taken care of. Taking, got things taken care of. He put a sign that said, no guns to line up. So basically, he was helping me out at the at the at the concert that day. Little Wayne was the headliner. He was in front. He was recording Little Wayne's set. And in that moment, something happened where people thought there was a gun at the festival, and there, in fact, there wasn't. Everyone just started to run, mm-hmm. and without knowing what was going on, so people got trampled. People were go- like our entire full packed house on the Sunday of the performance. 
cleared out in a matter of minutes. It was all over the news. Right. And then we lost each other. So mm-hmm. I, Ryan, that was, I was the scary the, part. I had to wait in the water car to, to see it's okay, made it out of their life. So it was it was like chaos mm. and everyone was running. People were being trampled, climbing over fences in the middle of downtown Atlanta. I had, didn't know where Ryan was. I was running so fast in a way. <laughs> it's the kind of moment that can send anyone into a tailspin. But it was also the moment when Royce realized that Ryan can take care of himself. Yeah, but I, but when that happened, I realized that Ryan actually you know, knew what to do mm-hmm. and that he, you know, he, that's who I was freaking out about the most. I was like, I have no idea where Ryan is in this sea of chaos. And I was kind of responsible for him. But then it took me a minute and I was like, oh, a logical, the logical thing to do well, would my be. My instincts started kicking. Yeah. Your, his instincts kicked in and he ran back to the car mm-hmm. and just, that's where I met him. I'm, not, I'm just wondering how this water was making it out there alive. That's, that's, no. that's probably worries me. That definitely showed me that, like, Ryan definitely knows what to do. So I don't, I don't really fear for his safety. Mm-hmm. I don't. Do you think that that particular incident um, kind of shaped you more as a citizen advocate? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it did. Um, it, I mean, that was a real test. I was like, I, I really didn't know what was going on in overall and then especially with Ryan. So it definitely helped me. I mean, it was a test on our friendship too because Ryan was pretty shaken up about it. Mm. And so then I, I kind of felt responsible, but I think you got over it, right? Yeah. I'm facing <laughs> my feels. So I faced my feels. Yeah. The incident brought Ryan and Royce closer together and made them realize how important they are to each other. Ryan, I want to know, can you tell me what Royce means to you? He's like a, a brother in arms to me. So he's been there from, the, from day one. So he's like family for you at this point. And we don't take things seriously. It felt um, very awesome. Felt with an awesome. Since it, changed, since it changed my life. In what way? In, in a positive way. One final question. You know, I know you touched on this a little bit, Royce, but, you know, what do you think you're learning being Ryan's citizen advocate? I'm learning a lot. I'm learning patience. I'm learning um, perspective. I'm learning how disadvantaged he is. And what I mean, I don't mean by Ryan in particular. I mean, Ryan in particular, but also anyone else who's in his situation, you know, I see that this society is not set up for them fundamentally, you know, and it's very, it's frustrating for me sometimes because I have perspective. I think that's something for me that has been a resounding lesson is that, you know, just the perspective to understand how much everyone else needs to be putting in and how much more we all need to be doing to make this world more equitable, really. Because there's so much more. This is only, you know, my relationship with Ryan is only the first step and it's only the entrance to this type of thing. And it's the way I'm, I've committed to making a difference. But 
there are so many more people with experiences like Ryan that don't have normal interactions with people or consistent interactions with just society. And I think it's incumbent upon us to really make more of an effort to to do that and to reach out to people who may not have this uh, situations that are equivalent to ours. What do you think others should do to be more inclusive? I think the, the first thing, I don't think anybody learns without perspective. I don't really think that people just going out and doing community service or something one time doesn't really um, give you the consistent perspective that you need to understand why people are disadvantaged. And I think one thing that I encourage all my friends to do and that I would continue encouraging anybody to do is just make some sort of a relationship with someone. It doesn't have to be formal. And that's why I like citizen advocacy because I don't do well with formality and it's allowed us to create our own thing. But I think that people to make the world more equitable need to do something to get out of their comfort zone in order to understand why the world is not. Because I think people don't even have a perspective as to why this world is not equitable. They just understand that I can do this or I can pay for this and I can walk up these steps or I can go in here and swipe my card and do this thing. But there are so many people that haven't even made it to the bus to get to that place where you just got in your car to drive, you know, Mm. and they can't even go to the bus because they can't walk to the bus or so many things before you, before, you know, you've already reached step six and they're still on point five. And that, I think it's important for people to align themselves in a real way with someone that comes from a totally different situation to really understand um, someone else's perspective before they can act. Because you can't really act without understanding why you're acting. Speaking with Eric and Ryan left me hopeful for the potential impact of advocacy. And getting to know Royce showed me what it can look like to be a true citizen advocate. Ryan and Royce's relationship reminded me so much of Garrick and Azir from episode one. These were real, authentic, and genuine friendships. Throughout these conversations, I've seen time and time again how much value these relationships can bring to someone's life. No man is an island, and I've come to realize that the mutual nature of their relationships is what makes it so strong. I felt like I could finally articulate to Dorona the growth that I've had on this journey. I'll start with Eric. I think what stood out for me for Eric was the fact that he speaks for himself. He's going to advocate for himself. He's going to speak up on his behalf. And there's no telling someone like him no. And he has that attitude, but it's combined with the fact that he has people in his life who deeply care about him and support him. But the fact that he's just very... A pro- much a proponent of his own self-advocacy and that of others is the change that we all hope we can be in the world, from my viewpoint at least, because he's not just being mentored, he's mentoring someone else who he then hopes will mentor someone else. And it just very much reminded me of the conversation with Nazir and Garrick and how Nazir Yes, he's being, he has a citizen advocate, he's being mentored, and he's doing the same thing with those that he knows. And it creates a positive cycle of 
ensuring that, yes, somebody is being an advocate, but also that they're having this inclusive mindset. And it brings me to Ryan and Royce and Royce's comments about perspective, because you have to be able and be willing to change your perspective and see through another person's eyes in order to get to that change. Well, Raisa, I think you made it. I think you crossed over from where we began, right? I just heard you say, um, thinking about where, where we started, of reaching to this point of going, oh, this is really just about two people <laughs> benefiting one another based upon more of the things that they have in common rather than the things that are perceived as different. But the fact is, there is no special training for Royce. There's no special technical thing that he needs to know. He just needed to be a a human being open to another human being. And caring. You know, I think about the event that Royce said he hosted and that Ryan was helping him. And when chaos broke out, you know, his immediate concern was for Ryan. Like, oh my God, did he make it out safely? You know, he was very concerned. But his perspective also changed. It was almost as if initially, yes, Ryan is a friend, but he also looked at him as a friend he needed to protect. When he had to come to terms with the fact that Ryan is his own person and his instincts would kick in. I think that was a pivotal moment in the um, in the direction even of the relationship of Royce recognizing this man <laughs> can take care of himself too, in many ways that people don't give him credit to. The only way to really get that perspective clearly is to get up close and personal. His words were, you know, you're not going to get that in a, in a, in a one day volunteer kind of a thing, which is great. Every, please, people who are listening, go do one day volunteers. People need you, but that's not relationship building. And it would be very difficult for meaningful advocacy to happen for Ryan if Voice's role was to drop by, you know, just once a month, right? Or if he was on some type of check-in clock and, and do your do your duty and report back something to someone. This is literally about two guys getting to know one another and both of them experiencing the vulnerability that human beings experience when they get up close and personal to one another over the long haul. So they're, you know, they're at the beginning of a journey that some people have been on for 30 or 40 years in citizen advocacy relationships. Imagine the significant change that will occur in each of their lives in another decade and the influence that will have on the community around each of them. They're modeling to their community what inclusion looks like. And you know, for me, that's so, it's refreshing in the sense that I think about Black community and the images that you do see and the images that you don't see. And you don't often see in our community the interaction of your able-bodied, non-disabled Black person 
and a person with disabilities. And it also creates this image of it does not affect Black people or it affects them differently. But seeing Royce and Ryan's relationship, it is modeling for their community. I think it means a lot to me having grown up in Southwest Atlanta and, you know, just knowing the kind of neighborhoods that we have and seeing their relationship and seeing what an inclusive community could be and should be and looks like. And I think that if we consider, and we've mentioned this previously as well, 20% of the population, one in every five persons is a person with a disability. If a significant number of that percentage were supported and empowered by neighbors to exercise their right because you're going to vote, you're going to advocate for yourself, you're going to vote in your own self-interest, and there would be a, a change there. So there's, there's lots of room for us to grow at every level, at the personal level, and then at, at, the, at the larger level, at the state, county, state, and the federal level for people with disabilities to have their voices heard. But it begins with individual people understanding this kind of upside-down society that we live in that does not, it is not play fair for people with disabilities. Royce used the word equitable. It isn't equitable. And at the grassroots level, I think that's where equity begins. I always try to learn something anytime I'm talking to someone, anytime I'm interviewing someone, and just giving them that opportunity to tell what's going on in their personal life. I think for me, it's important because you're literally giving a voice to people who have gone almost unseen or practically unseen. Society has told uh, people with developmental disabilities, either directly or inadvertently, that they don't matter. Um, and this offers a platform for them to say, oh, wait, yes, I do. And to highlight some of the barriers that have been in place for people with developmental disabilities. So I think for me, it's important that we tell these stories so that perspectives can change. Once you at least bring it to someone's attention and they start listening a little more, that's when that perspective can change. And that's when someone will actually have more gumption to interact with someone with developmental disabilities and actually get to know that person like they would a neighbor or even better than a neighbor, a friend. There shouldn't be an attitude of you're caring for them as if you work for them. It should be you're caring for them because you love them. Because to that same extent, someone with a developmental disability is then gaining perspective from you and your experiences. So you're not just expanding your own mindset as a citizen advocate, you're also helping to expand that person with developmental disabilities mindset that they can become more than what society has said. This is available to you. Thanks, Raisa. What a great journey. Thank you for allowing me to take the ride with you. At the beginning of this journey, I didn't know what to expect, but I hoped I would gain a better understanding of those with developmental disabilities. I learned the many ways in which they are segregated from their peers in education, 
And I learned about how nursing facilities work against people with disabilities seeking their independence. But I also learned the importance of self-advocacy in situations that work against people with developmental disabilities. And I'm still learning. I think constantly about what an equitable society would look like for people with disabilities. I also think about how I can center more people with disabilities in my reporting. But more importantly, I'm learning how to be a more inclusive person by challenging my own conscience and unconscious assumptions. I invite you to continue your own journey by building relationships with people with disabilities in your own communities. I also invite you to be a part of the community that made this season of Hidden Voices possible. Become a grassroots advocacy member with the Georgia Council on Developmental Disabilities. Join Larsh Atlanta, a community of people with and without disabilities, sharing life together. Larsh's community events bring people together of all abilities for times of fun and friendship. Find out more at www.larshatlanta.org. Citizen Advocacy invites you to get to know your neighbors and discover the unique gifts we have to share with each other. Contact your local Citizen Advocacy office in Atlanta and DeKalb, Macon, Athens, and Savannah to see how Citizen Advocacy can help connect you. Find out more at www.citizenadvocacyatlantadecab.org or email us at citizenadvocacyad at gmail.com. This podcast is a collaboration between the Georgia Council on Developmental Disabilities, Resurgence Impact Consulting, Citizen Advocacy of Atlanta and DeKalb, and Larsh Atlanta, made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Raisa Habersham, and Dorona King is my co-host. Our executive producers are Irene Turner from The Storytelling Project and Michelle Corey with Frequency Media. Ina Garkusha is our producer. Matthew Filler is our editor. Hidden Voices is sponsored by the Georgia Council on Developmental Disabilities, whose vision is a state in which all persons are included in all facets of community life, have choices while exercising control over their lives, and are encouraged to achieve their full potential. GCDD advances social and policy changes that further an integrated community life for persons with developmental disabilities, their families, friends, neighbors, and all who support them. This podcast grew out of their larger GCDD storytelling project. You can find out more about them and their great advocacy for and with people with developmental disabilities at gcdd.org.